Good evening. We made it back. We had taken a little weekend getaway for our anniversary and and what fitting way to start this biz by a story. Now, when, when we talk about the Ozark National Forest, uh, when you say off the grid, you're off the grid. You know, very limited cell phone, you have to climb to the mountain to get a message, one of those kind of things. So, first two nights were okay. Then this morning, we thought we would take a nice little quick trip down this little fire trail, looked like a gravel road. Well, somewhere between the satellite saying we're here and us being over there, that hour trip took us almost three hours, okay? Now, if you guys don't know the story of the uh, SS Minnow, you know, they were on a three hour tour, that's what it started feeling like, okay? So, it got me thinking kind of along along with this message that you have to have a transmitter but you better have a receiver too, right? So my main goal this weekend was I wanted to see a bear, okay? I wanted to see a bear. So we're coming out, my brother-in-law's in front of us in his little buggy and Denise, out of nowhere, she grabs my arm. She goes, stop, 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 stop. Just, I mean, now I'm like, I couldn't figure out what she was doing. And she said, there's a bear, back up. Back up to the bear. So I backed up slowly. I kept looking. And she says, I seen it right there. She said, I seen its head, it popped up, it jumped over, it did this. And all I seen was a deer. So we get back down there to where my brother-in-law was, and Denise is all excited. And she says, I've seen this bear, it's seen its head, it jumped up, it did this and this, and all Joel seen was its ear. No, I said deer. And so, again, you have to have a transmitter, but you also have to have a receiver, right? That's kind of where this goes. And don't think that this word that I'm going to use here is in any reflection to my weekend with my wife. The definition of paradise. Could you try again? <laughs> the definition of paradise. As a place where one expects to find the perfect situation and perfect happiness. This is why heaven is referred to as paradise in Luke 23:43 where Jesus promised the thief on the cross that his troubles and sufferings in this world would soon be over because on that day he would be in paradise. Now, the main text is going to be Matthew 18, verses 1 through 35. It says, Have you ever noticed that a lot of people think of the church in these terms as paradise? That once they've been in the church and they've entered a perfect place, a place where there's no discord, no trouble or suffering, some people would want to call it paradise on earth. But these people also become very discouraged. 
And they might even quit when they discover sometimes jealousy, meanness, immorality, and selfishness. The big surprise comes when we read the New Testament and discover that this has always been this way. The apostles were always consistently dealing with these problems and the people in the church. There has always been trouble in paradise, so to speak, of this because people don't understand, first off, that the church on earth is forgiven for sin but has to still deal with the effects of sin on a daily basis. Now this same church in heaven will also be forgiven for sin, but will no longer have to deal with its effects ever again. See, Jesus understood the difference. And for this reason, He left us certain principles to help us deal with the trouble we experience in paradise. While it's here on earth, and while we wait to enter that paradise that's prepared for us in heaven. So in Matthew 18, 1 through 35, we recognize five of the principles he gave us for avoiding trouble in paradise. Number one, humble yourself. When I started reading these things, I, I put myself in this place and I really need these, these things tonight. Starting in verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and sat before him, or before them, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to, be, to stumble, it would be better than him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say it to you, that their, angel, their angels in heaven continue to see my face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he, ha does he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountain and go search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. When I started thinking about this, in relations to myself especially, an ego can be a big problem in the world but it can also be one in the church. See, there's no room for me and my big ego in paradise. Egos are fragile. They're easily bruised. They want it their own way. They serve themselves only. 
and they'll even compromise to preserve self. Jesus says the only way to be great is to be honored. By God, because that's the only way we can receive honor is to be in paradise. Is it to be like a child? Let go of your ego. Jesus also warns those who would destroy the innocent because they are easily to destroy because we are all children. And He warns those of the judgment. And the judgment will be severe. Now we'll go to back to verse 7. Principle number 2. Don't ignore the judgment. Starting in verse 7 back through 9 says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man to whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet that would be cast into eternal fire. It says, if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into fire hell. You know, in this world, people do a lot of things because they really don't believe God will punish them. Jesus specifically and repeated, repeatedly warns us that judgment will be sure and it will be terrible. How much more restraint would we have and what greater care would we take if we, in the way that we treat other people in and out of the church, if we were sure that God will account, will call us into account for everything that we've done, can you imagine having to answer for every mean and selfish thing that you've said or made? In that same line, people do things that may destroy or disrupt the church and don't even realize that there's a terrible price to pay for those that cause it in the earthly paradise. And if you would, turn over to Luke 17. If you don't mind, I think it's 17 verse 1. And it kind of goes along this same line. If, make sure I got the right one there. Yeah, 17 verse 1 through 4. It says, Is it impossible for the offenses should come but woe to him whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his head and neck and were thrown into the sea, and that should any of offend the little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother's, brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day return to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I love the part on first, verse 3, the first part of it. Take heed to yourself. You know, in this time and days, everybody wants to point the finger. And it says right there to take heed to yourself. 
Number three principle. Troublemakers need to be dealt with. And we're going to start in verse 15 through 20 here. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that the mouth of two or three witness, even every fact can be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be a heathen or, and, and a tax collector, and, or a tax collector. It says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or more agree on this earth about anything and that they may ask, it shall be done for them by, their, by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. Most Christians hate confrontation. I know I do. Sometimes they think forgetting about problems and ignoring troublemakers is an effective way to solve problems. This method usually creates bitterness and leads to more trouble because those who create the problems are left to do more damage to other people. Peace doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen, and we have to create it. See, Jesus provided instructions in this step. You know, most of the teachings he had were in parables so people would understand, but this is actually a step-by-step. -step. You rarely see this, that Jesus does this. He is teaching in, not, in that same form as a parable. He very rarely does it by one, two, three, like this. Yet this is probably one of the most ignored teachings in the church today. When there are problems, when people we see do everything else in the place of what Jesus tells us to do. So what do we do? Do we hold a grudge? Do we gossip? Do we slander? Do we even plot revenge? The Lord not only tells us how to deal with troublemakers, He guarantees us that if we do the things His way in the, on the paradise and earth, He will honor and support these things in the paradise when He really truly rules in heaven. You know, a lot of times we get our feelings hurt. A lot of times we hurt other people's feelings and we don't even realize it. But if we hold to God's principles and do the things that He wants us to do it this way, we won't be holding grudges. We won't be doing the things that we shouldn't be doing. Principle number four, which is probably sometimes the hardest to swallow for myself. Forgiveness is the standard. Verse 21, Then Peter came to him, came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. 22 says, And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but seventy times seven. In these verses, Peter aspires to be 
the most gracious at the law and demanded that was demanded of him. For the custom among the Jews was to forgive a person up to seven times. Jesus established a new standard for his paradise and its unlimited forgiveness. Seventy times seven is the way of saying this. In a place where there are offenses, mistakes, weaknesses, sin, ignorance, or even sometimes stupidity, there is always going to be trouble. The only way to deal with unlimited to sin is to provide unlimited opportunities for forgiveness. And we'll say that again. The only way to deal with unlimited sin is to provide unlimited opportunities for forgiveness. The feature that makes the church paradise on earth is that it is the only place on earth where forgiveness is always available regardless of the sin or the number of times. The most attractive thing about the church is not the building, it's not the programs, it's not the eloquence of the ministers, but the fact that sinners can always find forgiveness here. See, forgiveness is not only the standard, it's the, the goal and desire of every dispute and every offense. Principle number five. There is no mercy without mercy. In verse 23, It says, for this reason the kingdom of heaven has been compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, this, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. Verse 26, this servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and he released him and forgave his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not, but when he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and they came to their master and told them all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. You should not only have had mercy on your fellow servant, just, I had, just as I had mercy on you. And the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. In verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, each of you, from his heart, 
who does not forgive his brother's trespasses. See, to me, the key, per the key verse here is 33. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant in the same way that I had mercy on you? He should have had mercy not because he felt like it, because the other servant deserved it, or because he could, he could afford it. They're all good reasons, but not the correct one. He should have had mercy because he himself had received mercy. See, sometimes we think we deserve to be in paradise, and we begin to wonder if others deserve it too. We think we belong in paradise and start making rules and thinking about who belongs there. We think we've earned paradise and start checking to make sure everyone else has paid their dues too. Jesus has news for us in this parable. We are here because of mercy. Whether we grew up in paradise, whether we just arrived here in paradise, the thing that got us here was God's mercy. And the only thing that's going to keep us here, now and forever, is the mercy that we show towards others. Do we show mercy? Again, you've got to have a transmitter, but you've also got to have a receiver. So this is, this is the summary. These principles should help us deal with the troubles that we experience in the church. This is our paradise on earth. It is so sad that sometimes people quit or criticize because it's not as heavenly as they thought it would be. But guess what? It will never be perfect. We can avoid this. We can avoid loss of brethren. We can be... We can avoid pain and sorrow. And we can get a handle on some of our own problems by applying these simple principles to ourselves. Let me check pride at the door. The world is full of wars and troubles because there's people who are proud. Let's remember that what pleases God is humility, gentleness, becoming less so that others can become more. Let me get a handle on my own sin. If you realize that you're a liar, or a bully, or impure, or stubborn, or greedy, or lazy, or even a slave to something, we have to do something about it. If God promises judgment and punishment, He means it. Don't ignore His warning. Let's get real with each other. It goes back to communication. If you have a problem with somebody, stop pretending everything's okay. 
God doesn't guarantee that everybody will get along. But He expects that we try and to be honest with each other and to show that grace and mercy. Let it go. Are you keeping a grudge? Are you nursing a bruised feeling? Are you saving up an insult for somebody else? Are we keeping score? What good is that going to do for you? The best satisfaction you will ever feel won't be from justice. It will be from forgiveness. So whatever it is, let it go. And the last one. Let us be a place of mercy. What do you want to be known for? Do we want to be a great singing? Do we want to have a great facility? Do we want to have great programs? There's nothing wrong with that. But what do you want to be known for? These are all great and necessary. I want to be known for my mercy. Our church should be a place where sinners are welcome. Because that's all you'll find here. Are sinners who have received mercy. See, there's always going to be trouble in paradise here on earth. But our hope that is that if we can put these principles in action in our own personal and congregational lives, we can mitigate the trouble here and eventually go to the paradise where there's no trouble or sorrow can ever be touched us again. Especially now as we're experiencing growth, change, adaptation. There's two different ways of doing things. We need to keep pursuing the basic principles more than ever. And I know somebody has said this before. There was a billboard one time. It said, Sinners are welcome at the Church of Christ. Are we known for that? It told me that this church would welcome me, the sinner. Sinners are not welcome in many places, but they're always welcome, welcome here at the Lord's Church. So if you are a sinner and you need to come to Jesus for forgiveness, or even if you're a child of God that just needs to be restored, I'd encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing.